0: And then welcome to the Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another wonderful, inspiring conversation. This is such a great uh, program for me to do because I, I just so enjoy the conversations that I have with amazing people, inspiring people. And that really is the purpose of the Love Code. It's to uplift. It's to inspire. It's to really connect us more to that spiritual dimension of who we are so we can – find our healing so we can connect to the true soul expression that we are in this world, to bring love, to bring transformation, to really find our greater spiritual purpose, I would say. So um, So here we are, and uh, I have another wonderful guest in store for you. And by the way, if you are listening for the very first time, thank you for joining me. This is a weekly show. I have another show on Progressive Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. called What Women Must Know. If you'd like to listen to more of these conversations, you can either go to my Facebook page, and the best one to go to is What Women Must Know. And then um, the other option is to go to my website, which is drcherylfillman.com Dr. and opt in there. And um, I get to send these wonderful interviews out to you, get the archived versions out, along with other information that I'm always sharing with my community. So I hope you'll be joining me every week and continue this learning, healing journey of, of, of transformation. That's what life is about. So we're going to explore this. Theme. We're going to be talking about, um, oh well, uh, this is what I named the topic of the show, where did they go and are they okay, communicating with their loved ones. And we have an amazing guest. We're going to be talking to Reverend Karen E. Herrick, who um, is uh, an amazing woman. Um, just a little bit about her. I could go on <laughs> for a long time giving her experiences and credentials, but What we'll say is she completed her Ph.D. at Union Institute and University in Philosophy and Master's Degree from Rutgers University in Social Work. She has shared her clinical expertise for 30 years in private practice and by lecturing on dysfunctional addictive homes, dissociation, and grief and loss from a Jungian perspective. She is now researching the potential benefits of mediumship, knowing that grief is primarily dissolved when the bereaved can recognize their continuing spiritual bonds with the deceased. Dr. Herrick's decades of research consists of paranormal experiences that have been widely reported and appear to be fairly common. These phenomena have been the subject of psychical research for well over a century, and their existence is reasonably established probably known for a whole lot longer than that, right, Karen? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right, that's uh, right. It's my pleasure to welcome Reverend Karen Herrick to the show. Karen, it's such a pleasure to have you, and welcome to the Love Code. Thank you. Well, you certainly have an interesting life. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I, I, I guess I can I, I can pretty much guarantee that that's a true statement, right? <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, you know it's such an interesting journey you've been on because I I, I know that you're um, counselor you're working with um, families dealing with um, alcoholism addictions in, in your practice but you, you you're doing so many fascinating things and particularly the the spiritual realm this realm of mediumship and well we have lots we're going to go into today. And before we do that, I um, I, I'm really curious to know more about your personal journey and how you uh, found this path that you're on and the work that you're doing in the in the spiritual dimension of life. So share a little bit about what happened to you that, in a sense, woke you up to this this reality. Okay, Um,
1: what woke me up really was in 1987. Um, when I went to a conference in Connecticut, was held at a former nunnery on the water in Connecticut, it was beautiful, it was a transpersonal conference, and I had no idea what transpersonal psychology was, but it studies um, the different types of spiritual experiences, not just your waking state in psychology. Um, so I'm driving to Connecticut and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Um it was a, a week long program and my daughter I had I have three daughters and the last one was at sleepaway camp and I'm thinking I could be home, have the whole house to myself and <laughs> just what am I doing here? <laughs> but I I went to, I went to this conference and um because um I had been at a conference for with Claudia Black who taught about uh children in alcoholic homes and I had had tea with this lady that, you know, you'll never see again. And she said, oh, if you like Claudia Black, you'll love Jacqueline Small. And she's a therapist from Texas. And I said, I never heard of her. And she said, oh, if you ever get a chance, you know, you'd really like her. Okay. So then six months later, this brochure comes across my desk from Jacqueline Small. And um, she's having this conference for a week, and it's on transpersonal psychology. So I call about it, and they said, well, you know, it's a nine-month program with the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Menlo Park, California. I said, no, I didn't know that. And it cost $5,000. And I'm thinking, I don't have $5,000, not for that anyway. And anyway, they said, well, there's a uh, student loan, and you're guaranteed to get it if you apply for it. So I thought, this is all very interesting, so let me try. Synchronistically, you know, it was the same week my daughter was going to be gone, so I didn't have to worry about her. And um, sure enough, I got the $5,000, and I was on my way. So I get there and there's 21 of us there, and they knew all about Jungian psychology, which I didn't know a thing about, and about past lives. And when I first arrived, there's this lady in in front of this big tree in the courtyard, and she's saying, "This is this was me in another life. I was like this tree." And I'm thinking, <laughs> "What did
0: I what did I sign up for?" <laughs> so 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 then I
1: go in and. This nun um, says to me, um, you know, it was 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. She said, um, you you can um, rest in your room if you'd like as we don't start. So after lunch, would you like to be sent to, to go to your room? I love it. So she said, okay, you're in the lion's wing, right? So in my head I, I saw L-I-O-N-S, and, you know, and she leads me to this room. And it was the lion's wing, L-Y-O-N-S, which was one of my great-great-grandmother's maiden names. So I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be here, right? So I I took a nap and then met all these other people. That seems so strange that people say that about me now that you're so weird you and all these weird things. Yes, I am. And uh, anyway, so it was just psychology uh, for like into into Wednesday. And then they said, okay, we're going to lay down and we're going to breathe to music. And I had no idea what they were talking about, holotropic breath work by Stan Groff and he was a doctor who had been, um, you know, giving people drugs, and they were having spiritual experiences through the drugs. But then that was a no-no, so he founded this breath work, where you just breathe out, not to a, not to a certain count. You just breathe out, um, you know, and you breathe in, and you keep doing it um, very fast. So, and then they do a meditation, and then the last words you hear are, uh, "Don't think, just breathe." Well. It's the first time in my life I've been told not to think because thinking is our survival tool, and it certainly was mine. So, okay, I I, I follow directions when I go places. So I'm I'm breathing away, and um and the music is starting at the lower chakra. So the, the music was um, meant to activate each chakra in your system, of which there are seven. So it starts with drumming music at your base chakra. And it was wonderful, and I'm laying there, and I'm feeling good, and there's all kinds of – interesting things happening in my stomach, just feeling kind of my bodily fluids and all this weird stuff. So anyway, all of a sudden, I pull my legs up like I'm in the birthing position and this breath comes into my body and out my mouth. And I thought, whose breath is that? And then I thought, don't think, just breathe. So I breathe and the other breath breathed. And um, so we did that for a while and. I'm not questioning anything. I'm just breathing and staying in the process. And then you have a partner that you pick, and I asked my partner to push on my feet. And I, you know, picked up my feet. Please push on my feet. Well, he didn't do it right. And so whatever that meant. And the trainers came over, and they took over. And one guy pushed on my feet. Another guy was by my neck, and he put his hands by my shoulders, and he said, hold on to my wrist and just push. And so I thought, What's happening? I thought, don't think, just breathe. So I kept breathing, kept breathing, and I pushed and I pushed, and then finally it was over, and and I laid there like, oh my god, what was that? And they said I look like this little baby. My my uh, hands were all curled up around my face, and I wish they had videoed it, but of course that might have taken away some of the naturalness of it. But um, and then we were told to get up and go and um, draw in a circle, which is Jung, Jung's mandala, and do a mandala drawing on anything that came up and not to talk to anybody. But when I stood up and looked around the room at these people that I had just thought four days ago were so weird, I just loved every one of them. And I knew we were all connected, and I knew we were all connected to everybody in the world. And I knew there was a God. So coming from an alcoholic family, my father had been Protestant. My mother had been Catholic. And my father took us to church. My mother didn't drive, so we never went to the Catholic church other than if my maternal aunts got a hold of me, then we would go there. And I would think, well, this is really a prettier place than the Dutch Reformed Church, which had nothing in it. <laughs> anyway, so – um but I figured God didn't really want anything to do with us because my father was drinking and my mother was screaming and this wasn't a good place for God. So I never had believed in God, but I had believed in the wind and nature because I was raised in upstate New York and it's beautiful up there and I would walk in the woods a lot. And um, so I knew something created nature and I believed in the wind. So kind of like an American Indian view of, you know, um, what the world was like with a God in it. Um, but I knew there was a God. It was wonderful. And so I went and I drew this picture, and it was nature. It was a picture of a flower and um, the grass and the blue sky and the sun. And then then we went to lunch. Now, I had thought this had taken about 20 minutes, but it had been about
0: four hours. Um,
1: so that, that kind of shocked me. And, if I mean, when you've been in the, another dimension that long, You're not really in the third dimension when you go to lunch. So um, I had lunch, and that helps ground you. And then we were all to meet after lunch and show our mandalas. So I showed my mandala, and and um, Jackie Small said, well,
0: that's a rebirth. You had a rebirth.
1: And I thought, oh, okay. And then I listened to everybody's story, and nobody had a breath come into them. So I didn't mention that because um, I figured you just have to go home and figure out what happened here, right? Um, and and what did happen was I was experiencing my original birth. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to die than it is to be born. So mm-hmm. um, that's because I know all about dying from the near-death people. Um, so that's what got me started, that I knew there was a God finally.
0: Yeah, you know, um thank you for sharing that uh, and I, I just uh, want to share with you that um for many years, uh well l- let me just say um when when I was in my uh, 20s in in search of myself, um I encountered primal therapy. And I did that when I was in London and it was Revelatory, Karen, because I had an experience of my birth, and you okay. are so right. You're so right in saying that it's a lot more difficult to be born than to die, and um, yeah. so so. I mean, I, I had the and I had a traumatic birth, and so I had that experience. You know, took me by surprise as well. Of the process and just the revelations that came out of it, right? You just have this memory when you you are you're going through the physical experience of it and it just opens up. And that led me, interestingly enough, to breath work. So for okay. many years I actually um, studied breath work and taught breath work and trained people in breast work in the US and in Australia. And um, the breath is as you no, because you do this in your work. how profound the breath is on so many levels for healing and yes. uh and transformation, you know so I totally get what you're saying I, you know how 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 beautiful that you uh were able to uh to be guided to a path that has you know profoundly influenced everything in your life to this moment,
1: right. Yes, I know. I, I really felt lucky, but I also know now that the soul picks the spiritual experience that you're supposed to have, and um, and it, I thought what what a neat thing that the soul picked the Holy Spirit, really, because what I realized eventually was that I had that was the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is what connects matter to God, and. Um, what was I going to say? I just lost what
0: I thought. Would you say that, um, Wait, can I just ask you the Holy Spirit? That that term um, would that be equivalent to what we also call the soul? What? Well, the soul the
1: soul is held in your body. Jung believes the soul is the fifth thing in your unconscious. Right, your soul, last self. That's your soul. So, and your soul holds the personality. And it also holds the spirit part of you, and it and it somehow, with the way the soul works, it automatically, like instance with near death people, it automatically makes the um, etheric body that's held in your solar plexus um, leave when it's supposed to, and, and travel up the uh, vagus nerve, a uh, silver cord into the into the etheric world, and. You're connected then to your physical body by the silver cord and you can breathe. Um, but, and I have a description if you want me to read it on how I kind of put together little pieces of research to show you how the body just automatically turns and twists. And, um, and you, and you go up to Vegas, which I think is the highway of the physical body and the spiritual body. But the Holy Spirit, oh. that breath, that breath comes in and connected me to God. Now, I'm matter and, you know, and it connected me to spirit and I felt that. I felt the awe and the, I mean, you know, even when I talk about it, I still feel it more in my heart Um, and it's wonderful to be able to go back to that story and feel that again, that connection to all those people, you know, that I thought were so different from me.
0: And, and, And that's you know, so beautiful because, I mean, that's really the journey we're on, isn't it, is to raise the consciousness and the frequency so we experience how we are all connected. We are all connected. It's not just a nice term. You know, you had a direct experience of opening your heart and understanding how we are all part of the one. Yes. Um you know there's there's so many directions we can go with our conversation and so many interesting things to say and i know you're you know you're you've been writing a lot about spiritual experiences of jung of um uh, uh other people like um maslow who who else i think there's who's the who's the other? william oh, william james, um, william, james. Oh. william james and, and abraham maslow I don't want to – we have so many other things that I'd really like you to get into, which we will, like, the role of the vagus nerve, which to me is fascinating, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I think it's important to say that there are these influential people that have made major contributions into our society, into our culture – including I think you've talked about Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, you work a lot with alcoholic families. Uh, yes. That's, that their work has been profoundly influenced and incorporated into what they do and why they, and why they do what they do. So maybe we can just yes. spend a little time understanding how this spiritual... This, this spiritual wisdom can come through people and in their own unique way influence them to do their very profound work on this plane of existence? Yeah, that's a great question because as
1: as a social worker, um, I was not taught any of the spiritual part of William James and Carl Jung. I mean, they give you six weeks, I think, of Carl Jung and, of course, uh, William James, they talk about his psychology books, but they don't ever mention that he went to a medium and that he had a medium that was his favorite medium. So what happened with the Jameses is they had a toddler son who died. And then so Mrs. James uh, from the maids in her house got to know about different mediums, and she went by herself because she wanted to know where her son was. And then when she went to a couple, she asked her husband to join her. So if if they hadn't had the loss of this toddler – he probably never would have gotten to a medium so that's that personal part of psychology that they and i love that the history they don't um teach you right so anyway they went and he found mrs piper who was his black crow or white crow sorry and said you know she was the exception of all the other mediums and she, um they they tested her for 20 some years i mean how long can you test the lady and um <laughs> and then they wrote about it and, they had they tested mediums at Massachusetts General and they called them mental healers. And they were mediums. But do they teach this in psychology class? No. And then Carl Jung, his mother was psychic. And he was um, he was born after a brother had died at two years of age. So I would think that the mother was a little kind of a helicopter mother. And Carl was a sickly child, probably very nerdy. And um So if you read Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, you can read about his whole life. And his father was a minister, and he was not very proud of his father because he seemed more like a woman, Carl said. And um, his mother, he said she was a good mother, but every once in a while, things would come out of her mouth that didn't have anything to do with the conversation. And then at night, you wouldn't go into her room at night because there were too many noises and and, um, voices from there. And then Abraham Maslow, he took all of these spiritual experiences that James and Jung talked about and he made them into peak experiences for um uh education. And um so he didn't really have a, you know, I don't know if his personal story, maybe he has one. Um but it was the peak experience that, you know, got it out to regular people who didn't want to have to talk about God if they didn't want to. And um Anyway, so he but he was um, the first person really with psychology to study positive things, because before that we had, they had studied just negative things. So that's that's another good thing about about Maslow. So that's kind of the basis that they had it in their family. Uh, Jung had a, a grandfather who had a second wife, and he was um, psychic, and he and his second wife would sit at lunch and talk to his first wife on the other side. So Jung Hmm. saw all this, he saw all this, and he was really interested in consciousness of people and different states of consciousness. And when he graduated the university, he got a job as assistant manager of his mental hospital in Switzerland. It had a very good reputation. It was as long as a block long, and the staff lived on the second floor. And when he first started to work, he didn't leave the building for six months. He was so enthralled with all these different cases of schizophrenia and hysterical people and and what made them that way. And he said they wrote down the symptoms. They were to write down all the symptoms that this person had. But he said you were never to talk to the person. And he wanted to get the story of the person because he said you you wouldn't know how they got this way unless you got their story. And, of course, then he started to talk to Freud because Freud was publishing things and Jung wanted some things to help these people. And so then they became friends for six years. But uh, Freud said that the unconscious held just sexuality and, and repression from your family. And Jung said, no, the unconscious held more than that. And uh, that's how – and he wrote a book about it, and that's when uh, Freud kicked him out.
0: <laughs> As this is all too common. <laughs> you disagree. <laughs> that's right. Don't think what
1: I think. <laughs> Um, you leave. Um, so, so you know, we're not
0: told really the backstory, which is why it's so interesting. Of uh, the this this um, other dimension that exists, and yes. our um, you know, in our three D three dimensional world that we live in, um, our culture, as opposed to other cultures, hasn't really truly embraced. Other dimensions that exist simultaneously, and the, the the realm of of spiritual beings, the just you know the the energies that exist on many dimensions. Uh, you know, if you're if, you, if you've experienced shamanism um, or been you know shamans, of, of course, are taught that there are other dimensions. And uh, I think maybe that's why people are so interested right now in these the psychedelic forms of experiences because it frees us from just limiting ourselves to thinking that the third dimension is all over it, you know, just our 3G yeah. solid world, right? But I, um, um, I I want us to kind of spend a little time talking about the, the topic that uh, I mentioned on the show is where did they go and are they okay communicating with loved ones? Because this is an area that you have been fascinated with and, and work with, and Um, So so give us some of your insights about this and how it does, um, this knowledge of that we don't die, we may leave the physical, but who we are, the real spiritual essence remains, is such an important understanding to support us when our loved ones die.
1: Yes, um, and um, that's been a very popular webinar because um okay, so somebody comes in um um to see me and they've lost a loved one and so they're in grief and um so you know I ask them about the person that um so called died and and you know, what was Charlie like and have any pictures? Did you bring and uh tell me a little about Charlie and and then um and then I ask a question most therapists probably don't ask, is where do you think Charlie is now? And And they always say, in heaven. And um, I haven't had anybody say, you know, he's in hell or (laughs) he's in hell. And so I said, right, now what's your idea of heaven? And um, so they explain. It's usually something religious. And um, I say, okay, well, we're here right now to do your grief work, but during this work would you be interested to know – Uh, What people are finding out now about um, the soul being immortal and the other side, would you be interested in that at some point? Oh, yeah. Some of them say, I want to know right now, right? Um, But so I I set it up, and nobody's ever said, no, I don't want to hear about the other side. Um, So I I go right into that, and, um, you know, I just say, you know, he's he's now a spirit, and he has no body, and he can't talk to you, but he can send you thoughts. And as to anything happen, where you um, understand, where well, you feel his presence. And usually there's something that happens. The lights go out or uh, she can smell his, um, you know, cologne and um, the cigar or whatever it is. Okay. And so they, they usually have these, like, after-death um, experiences that they can tell you about, but they don't understand, well, how does that mean that Charlie's still with us, you know? Um, and so – The near-death people that have had uh, near-death experiences that are spiritual, which is probably, I think, about 20% of them that have near-death experiences, they they see grandma or they see the light, and they all talk about the light and how beautiful it is and the flowers and the music, and and they go to the other side. Well, that's what happens when Charlie died. He went to the other side, and there were relatives there who met him. People who loved him met him and, um, you know, welcomed him. And, of course, we have lots of stories with people in nursing homes, you know, who say they see Daddy in the corner and um, Daddy comes at 3 o'clock on Sundays. You can't be here then because he visits with me. So, you know, we know that spirits come to Earth to help people go to the other side also, to get them kind of accustomed to it. Um, And so when they're over there, what happens? Well, during the first three days, they experience – seeing their life review so what is that well people have explained that they see like a movie of their life on earth and um they can watch it as long as they want and what it shows um with with no um guilt feelings or anything put on you it just shows you how other people have experienced you in your life so what have what have you done and how have other people taken that um but you get to see your whole life, and that's your review. And so I'm I'm trying to be good so I get a good review when I go over there. Um, anyway. Oh, get an A-plus in life, Karen? That's right. I want, for... an a, I want an A-plus. Right. <laughs> and then they say that we have like this, um, you know, like a homing pigeon has their, well, their homing roots, that, that we have that and that we go to like-minded people. On the other side, and um, I could go more into it, but um, some people that have been there have gone to the Akashic Records, which Edgar Casey, who's a famous uh, trance medium in, in Virginia Beach, um, he said he, he, if he laid down and he did, went into trance and, and did your life, that he would go to your, um, your file in the Akashic Records, and they go there, and there's a whole file drawer of, of you and everybody else in the world. Um, just all kinds of wonderful things.
0: Um, you know, um, as you were talking, one thing came to mind. One of my guests was sharing her near-death experience, and um, when when she came back, um, she shared that the, um, the one of the most profound experiences she had was that she saw every. Kind, loving thing she ever did to anyone, however small it appeared to be, like that. That was impressed upon her that every every loving action we do has a meaning and is important. Yes. Right. Right. Every little thing. That's, and isn't um, that beautiful? You know. It's, yes, it's beautiful because it just you know reminds us that. We're here to give this kindness. We're here to give love, and in the end, those are the only true actions that mean anything. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, Oh, I I agree
1: totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, do you? Do you? Are you a medium yourself? No, I am not. But I have good intuition. And um, okay. uh, Right now, I'm working with a medium in England and we've been working together for like a year and a half and i did a survey i sent them out sent it out to mediums and i wanted um i wanted to find out if they understood how they got this information and about 20% of them did and the rest of them did not i only had 100 people answer me i wanted 500 but you know everybody's busy so um this one medium from england she She found out about my survey and she filled it out and then she emailed me and she said, I don't think I helped very much because I don't know what the vagus nerve is. and um, so But she said, I I have, you know, a method that I use and I'd like to uh, show it, you know, tell you about it on Zoom and um, maybe you'd be interested in learning it. So anyway, you know, it was interesting and it was during COVID and we were both bored. So I, you know, I emailed her and we had a good time. And so we've been meeting once a week for, a year and a half and we're thinking about writing a book about um, the therapist and the medium so we'll see but so I
0: do refer clients oh I
1: do yes I do refer yes. clients to mediums yes I have a list and um, there would be a medium that I had gone to or somebody I trusted went to and you know they have um, good results with them absolutely especially if they're in chronic grief for months and months and months and we're not getting out of it because they have so much guilt. Um, and uh, like this isn't helping. You've been left with children. We have to start working on some parenting skills here, and and you're still feeling guilty, you know, that you're the only parent there, um, especially men. They have more guilt, I find, than women. So um, I would like you to go to a medium. So, you know, I'm on the East Coast with a lot of religious people living here, and um, I just want you to go to one medium, because William James said, if you want to know what a medium's like, go and see one. And um, I remember I had this one gentleman, and his his wife uh, passed of a heart attack, and he she had a, a twin sister. And the twin sister had come to me before him, and um, she had gone to a medium right away. So she knew where her sister was, and, you know, she was okay with what happened, you know, as okay as you can be. and um, I said, so your sister-in-law went, right? Has that helped her? Yes. Uh, would you like to have the same kind of feeling she has, the acceptance of that her sister's there and she can, you know, go to a medium, talk to her any time that she wants to, or and even get some messages from her herself if she worked with that? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I would like you to visit a medium uh, because we have other work to do here. All right. So he goes. And when he came back, he walked in. I'll tell you, it was a different man. His shoulders were a different place. He was more relaxed. He, and I, I said to him, we can't guarantee your wife's going to come in. But you lost your parents a year ago. You lost an aunt and uncle you loved six months ago. I said, you got people up there all over the place. Somebody's going to come in. And so he, he said, okay. And, of course, they all came in. So he was so relieved. Um, that she told him, you know, it wasn't his fault and he had a heart attack. And um, and she told him about the children and what to do and what had to be done. So, I mean, I got some help there because I wanted him to start doing that anyway. And um, it was wonderful. It's really wonderful. And once they go and make that connection that the love is still there, that is key to their grief. They don't have grief so much anymore.
0: Wow. Well, why do you think some people stay in grief for a long period of time and never seem to resolve it and be able to move on and have thoughts of their loved ones but not with all that grieving emotion?
1: Well, I think that there's there are a lot of drama people in life, and they just like drama, and they don't mm-hmm. seem to have any problem-solving skills. Mm-hmm. And usually they yeah. they're pretty much a, a victim of whatever happens to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they perceive themselves as victims, so they just yes, operate, yes. In that, in that, yeah, right. And stay and stay and stay stuck in a sense of for me.
1: And what, because when you think about it, um, your you know your best friend or your lover or whoever it is dying could really be the gateway to you having a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Because that is the whole point—is for you to get more spiritual, so that you can be in touch with your loved one.
0: Mm-hmm. and 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 to have this knowingness that there there isn't this end to life. You know. That's right. I Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I when when my mother was um, uh, cause she she passed when she was ninety five. And her, I tried so many times. She just didn't want to talk about dying, didn't want to talk about what happened, nothing. Her right. her model of the world was that it's lights out. You don't exist anymore, which is a very scary thought to hold, right? Like annihilation, whatever that may yes. mean. And, um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to have these conversations and introduce her to things. No, she wouldn't. Didn't want to hear anything. Wouldn't want to talk about death whatsoever, in any way, shape, or form. So That's right. you know, it was it was a struggle. I I think until the very end when she probably realized <laughs> it's all okay, you know, and she died peacefully. But um, yeah, it's so interesting that we don't have that. Um, generally speaking, in our culture, this greater awareness and um, and that brings me to the vagus nerve, because you have some fascinating information and research and understanding about this nerve, this huge vagus nerve. It's actually the vagus nerve is translated as the wandering nerve, this nerve that goes through our entire body and every organ in the body um, and is related to um, uh, allowing people to... um, uh, get into a relaxed state. The vagus nerve helps to stimulate. What we call the para- parasympathetic nervous system. That's the relaxed state where healing happens. But there's another facet of it that you've been working with, connecting the spiritual dimension with the vagus nerve, the greater meaning of the great of the vagus nerve, which I haven't come across before Karen. So let's go into this. Let's dive into the wandering nerve called the vagus nerve in the body.
1: Okay, um so my news for everybody is you have two bodies. You have the physical body and you have the spiritual body. And St. Paul said that in the Bible that you come in on the physical and you leave on the spiritual. Um, so that makes so much sense as to If you have a soul and it's immortal, how does it get from your body to the other side, right? There's an etheric body that is housed in your solar plexus, and um, if you look at the – if they just pull up – they could pull up the cover to the Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal on Amazon, and they could see the picture on the cover, shows the vagus nerve coming um, uh, down from the top of their head, going around the amygdala, which is fight, flight, or frozen. That's how it helps panic and anxiety, and then going down your spinal column into your heart and into your stomach. So, and you're right, it touches every organ we have. So it's very important to keep this nerve active. And, um, you know, if, if you're depressed, your vagus nerve probably is not active very much of the time. But let's talk about it spiritually now. So you have chakras, and the chakras are up and down your spinal column, and they are invisible. So in order to be able to see the process, I am going to read to you. You must be clairvoyant to see it. And um, I I proposed this at one conference, and I wasn't chosen to give this Vegas nerve conference or at the conference. And I had a friend in the meeting, and she said, "Well, you know, they they had a physical doctor come in, and what you explained, he said, isn't possible." So I said, "Well, was he clairvoyant? No. Well, no, because if he's not clairvoyant." He's not going to be able to see it. So that's the people I have researched the people that have left their bodies can see what's happening, feel what ha- what's happening, and come back in. Okay, so the vagus nerve starts at the top of your head. So if you go from the bottom of your stomach all the way up the vagus nerve, you can leave at the top of your head. And that's how it's the highway of the physical body where this hysteric spiritual body that's housed in your solar plexus that contains your soul goes up the highway and out the top of your head. And it's connected to your physical body by the silver cord so that you're always getting oxygen. And um, there's a gentleman that wrote a a book called After. He's called Bruce Grayson. It it was in uh, 2021. And um, he said that in all the tests they did on people who had near-death experiences, their oxygen level never decreased. During the near-death experience, that's because, now they didn't say this part, that's because the silver cord keeps you connected to your physical body and you're getting oxygen all that time. Because if the silver cord is cut, you die. It says that in the Bible also. Now, if nobody cuts it because I'm thinking, who has a knife up there to cut it, right? It just um, stops vibrating. So if something stops vibrating, it goes limp. So, um, so some people have told me about mediums going up there and flying around when they were kids and stuff. And one, one gal who had a spiritual experience and left the body, she said, I saw that cord and I wondered if I should cut it. And she said, I, I decided that wasn't a good idea. And I said, yeah, I'm really glad you didn't do that. You wouldn't be here right now talking to me. So when I explained that your spiritual body comes out of your physical body, your physical body becomes shaken down to a molecular level, okay? So it's an atomic level that activates the spiritual body to leave the physical going up the vagus nerve, silver cord, usually out of the top of the head. Some people say they can come right out of the front of the body, but usually out of the top of the head into the etheric clairvoyant universe. And this is a magnetic operation, depends entirely on the pure effort of the soul, using the spiritual etheric body. All right, so how does the soul leave your physical body? So I've taken these notes and put them together from, you know, various people who used to leave their body um, on cue because they taught their body to do this action. Okay, now, around the ears, they hear this whirring noise, and this sends out an impulse to change rotation of the body. The vibration is now getting stronger. This activates the sacrum through the vagus in the middle of our sympathetic, parasympathetic sections of the nervous system as chemicals are being released. This energy pierces the center of one's skull where the mandula oblongata and the pineal gland open the top chakra. People usually hear a click in the head area when they leave. Um, which results in leaving one's body, expanding their consciousness with out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences. And this bodily energy would be like the energy that powers the orgasmic response. So it's a magnetic operation that depends entirely on the pure effort of the soul, using the spiritual, etheric body to leave.
0: Um that's, you know, it's so interesting to um, make this connection, Karen, that this vagus nerve, which as a naturopathic doctor, I have to say, there's so much interest and in talk about the vagus nerve because it is known that it's a major, it's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating nerve that, you know, moves through the entire body. That yes. it does regulate the stress response and, you know, being able to have tools and techniques like the breath that actually help to take us out of the stress response and back into the relaxation response is yes. by stimulating the vagus nerve, right, to, to help us right. calm down. But I never understood, I didn't have the this information that you're sharing with us today, that that vagus nerve has a very spiritual component to it or a spiritual dimension to it that is what we associate with the cord, which is often talked about of, you know, this connection between our physical and spiritual bodies. That's so interesting. What do we do with that knowledge? It is.
1: Well, for it, number one, it's, I'm trying to get it out there (laughs) because I mean, you know, when people say you're really weird, they mean it. And, um, but I mean, th- different people have left their bodies for years and come back in and they've written books about it. And, um, so I just would like more people to know about it. And what I want is to get clairvoyant researchers to be able to see this. Um, because if people like Robert Monroe, um, and he was, you know, big in the 50s, I think, in that he, he used to leave his body every Sunday when his wife went to church. He didn't have spiritual things happen to him, but he had all kinds of things happen. He wrote three books, and he founded the Monroe Institute in Farber, Virginia. And if you want to leave your body, you go there and learn how to do it. Now, not very really mm-hmm. many people know that either. Um, but if we if we listen to Robert Monroe, read his books, and pull things out of it, um, and he's the one big one that did describe a lot of this to me and then I got, you know, other things from uh um other books, um, like by chiropractors and things, that they it happens around your ears where it's like the um you know, the automatic door that opens the safe in the old house. So, you know, your body just twists. And in a dream uh one time I heard a voice that said to me, uh, God twists the Vegas. And I thought, really? So what does that mean? But when you think about what I just read to you, and probably, you know, this is just a minor definition, because if we had some clairvoyant doctors or near-deaf people studying this, we could get a bigger definition of, of other things that happen as you're leaving your body. So mainly, you know, I'm just like uh, a choir of one here that's trying to get people to understand this, because it's a beautiful thing to know. That when you die, you're going to leave, and uh, and the near death people and the out of body people are just here to tell you about that, and how that happens.
0: So okay, we've got our glitch sorted out. So Karen, you know what 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 I hear you saying and the the passion of your work is really trying to help us in the third dimension learn the biggest lesson that we don't seem to have ever learned throughout history, at least in our culture, and that is there is no death and how to right. how to prepare ourselves okay. so we can transition into the spiritual dimension of our beings without all the terror and fear that exists in our culture around death and dying. Absolutely, because Freud
1: said, "Everybody's afraid to die. That's why they don't talk about
0: it." Exactly, and it's like this uh, taboo subject. And yes. if we, if we, it, you know, the work that you're doing and the experience you have with these medians and people who can leave their body and near-death experiences—they're all here to give us the that wisdom and and be kind of signposts along the way that. Uh, we don't have to be afraid. We can prepare ourselves when that time comes to do it, with um, the the awareness and consciousness that would help make that transition gentler. Um, right. But we don't. I mean, it's such a big it's such big work. I, I I think helping people to understand the reality that there is no real death. There is there is transition, but there is no death. I know. Yeah, it's a big job. <laughs> right. It's so big and it's like it's always been a glaring thing to me. It's like there's one thing we just don't understand in our culture and have never been taught and guided with is the dying process and how to embrace it and how to look forward to it as this journey that we're on.
1: Yeah, so I'm hoping, you know, um I teach therapists on webinars and there are therapists that are so interested in Jung, and um, and and this, this is part of the process that I teach them. But also Jungian psychology um, uh, and all the other things that he taught about the different spiritual experiences. Um, I want to try to get a bigger audience. That's why I'm doing these talks. Um, I would love to teach at a college and get a course going like this. Um, I'm going to I have an eight week course that I've given to one of the gentlemen I work with, CHI International. And we'll see if we can if we can do that with therapists and other people that are interested wouldn't just have to be therapists. But for eight weeks I would just teach them about Young and James and a little bit about Maslow and, and um if you teach them this if you teach them that mediums go to the Arthur Family College in England and they learn just like therapists, they go to conferences and um mm-hmm. And mediumship, even though it's difficult to understand, is real. And um, I don't know if you know about the Bix um, Foundation in Las Vegas. No. That's the no. Bigelow no. Institute um, of Consciousness Studies. And uh, in 2021, in the New York Times, Robert Bigelow, who's a, a big uh, billionaire of Las Vegas, he's a real estate and aerospace mongool, and was offering a million dollars for evidence of postmortem consciousness through his Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies. This this author, me, I was one of the 1,200 people who asked for an application to be approved to author a 25,000-word essay to compete. And after the 1,200 people got the, um, we got the application, then 204 people submitted an essay in August of 2021, and the winners were announced on November 1st. And I was not a winner, which I didn't really think I would be, because he's looking for research people with univers- at universities. Uh, but um, I wanted to know more about, you know, who would win, and I do have a friend who won fourth prize, which was $50,000. Um, but I want to thank Mr. Bigelow because he's challenged the research community to put forward ideas to make the world more spiritual but sho- by showing that immortality is real. And I believe that one day history is going to consider this a landmark event, in the development of spirituality, and he wanted um, uh, proof that would stand up in a court of law. So he's not looking for scientific proof necessarily. What will stand up in a court of law? Because it's easier to prove in a court of law, he thinks. And so first prize for this paper was five five $500,000, and it went to Jeffrey Mishlove, who's an American clinical psychologist. Second prize was 300000 It went to a Dutch um, doctor. Cardiologist who studies near death, and a third prize um, was 150,000 that went to an editor of psychic research in England, and my friend Michael Tim, he was a runner-up of fifty thousand dollars, and he said, if you just read research up until 1929, you know this is all real. You don't need to read anything else, <laughs> but um, it's really wonderful that somebody's out there paying good money. Um, to really start
0: people talking about this,
1: you know. Well,
0: it's exciting because I think it's exciting. I I, I resonate with what this is all about because we're, we're you know we're in an, an era of awakening, and part of this spiritual reconnection to who we are and the the truth and the powers that we are and this connection to all of life. We need to dispel. The fear and the myths and the illusion about the subject of death right it has right. we we need we we need to understand that there is no death and uh, we need evidence we need you know it whether it's personal evidence when people find a medium they can know for sure that they're talking to the loved ones they have you know the, the loved ones on the other side are saying things that there's no way anyone else would know so right. um you know it's taking it out into the world. It's helping people, the skeptics, to um, uh, or people who have just been programmed to believe there's nothing else in the end, uh, understand that there is. So it's a uh, powerful work. So your, um, your recent book is called Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Um, discover how you get good ideas in the shower. <laughs> I love it. Um, and your website is Karen. You've got lots of great interviews and information on your website. People can learn more about your work. I know you are in practice. You are in clinical practice in New Jersey, right? Do you do do virtual uh, consultations with people? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh Okay. So, and um, people want to learn more about Karen's work, those listening, um, check out her website. She has such great information and it's so inspiring. And it's, you know, I I love this conversation, Karen. We probably could carry on for another couple of hours, but we can't. (laughs) Our time has come to an end. So I want to thank you for... The wonderful work you're doing, I want to thank you for the passion you have and and bringing this wisdom and knowledge into the world. The wonderful work you're doing, your great books you've written, the um, you know the inspiration that you um, you know we bring into people's lives. Thank you so much, and uh, for anyone listening, please go and visit Karen's website. It's Karen E. Herrick, H E R R I C K. Check out her book, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Um, Karen, it's just been a pleasure, and I just, you know, wish you all the best and keep up the wonderful work you're doing. Well, thank you so much.
1: It's been my pleasure, too.
0: It's been a great conversation, and to everyone listening, thank you. It's um, time to go, but may your week always be filled with love, peace, and harmony. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and you've been listening to The Love Code. Bye for now.